Key to the Insights, a podcast by Corey Johnson-Levitt. By interviewing leaders from all branches of government, our podcast will provide insight and an up-close perspective into state and national government. Happy New Year, everyone. This is KJL partner Andy Levitt. I'm here with uh, my dear friend, Jim Ananick, the Michigan Senate Minority Leader. We are hoping to talk a little bit about what's going to happen in the year ahead, both legislatively and then probably a little politically, too, because it's hard for Jim and I to get together and not chop it up on the politics as well. So thanks for being here, Jim. Thanks for having me. So going into the legislative session, big picture, what are you thinking some of the things your uh, your caucus and the legislature as a whole will try and tackle uh, in the coming year? Yeah, I think the way we've decided to do things, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, is to sort of um, create buckets for the ARPA, um, which I think most people know what that means. That's the Rescue Act money from the from the feds and our general fund, because we actually have significantly more money than we anticipated. And that is likely to continue for a while um, and to sort of break it into buckets. And I think the first one you'll see will be some sort of public health uh, bucket. Uh, and it will not have behavioral health. It'll probably be its separate, its own separate um, um, kind of category. And then you may see some things around public health, uh, public safety. Uh, I've been pushing for and getting some traction on both uh, the Republican side and, and some with the governor's office on uh, local government um, finance reform. And what I mean by that is just help with pensions. Um, for years, there was cuts to local governments and um, and there's been some actuarial changes of late that require them to look at their what they owe in pensions and, and shorten the time period um, uh, to when they have to pay it back, which isn't necessarily a bad idea, but they have to have money to do that. Um, and uh, uh, mo- there's a lot of communities that are in pretty desperate need for some pension help. Uh, and that's all over the state and that's small communities, some big communities, that's Republican areas, Democratic areas. So I'm hopeful that we can get some municipal finance uh, support as well. And um, I think those are some of the big areas. We'll see some maybe some uh, with some talk about doing some things to relieve people, compete with some relief on, on, on taxes. Um, I think that'll just be a difference of, of whether we can land somewhere where what those taxes tax relief looks like. Um, I think that's some of the big things that we'll be working on. I'm sure there's some other areas that we'll, we'll touch as well. Uh, I've obviously been working on some gaming legislation uh, because of the uh, closed racetrack uh, in my district. I would like to see uh, breathe some new life into, um, but I think those are some of the things that we'll see um, in the in the short term. And then obviously you mentioned it at the beginning, with it being a political season with the House, Senate, Governor, uh, where it's all state. There's no federal. I mean, there's congressional, of course, but no Senate race up. I think you'll we'll see when politics starts, and then a lot of the stuff will get tougher. So I think the first quarter will be critical to getting a lot of the stuff done. That's great. Thanks. So we heard. Some muni pension, trying to use some resources to help uh, put locals in better uh, footing in that regard. Uh, Public health uh, bucket for budget, behavioral health bucket, uh, and then potentially some tax relief uh, as well. Saw the governor came out today or over the weekend, I think, started to kind of trickle out that a a pension tax in an EITC would be on her list. Um, so sounds like the, uh, 
shadow boxing around setting the stage for that conversations starting to happen so yes uh, it'll be interesting let's talk a little bit about the state's cash position we have all these federal dollars but we also have uh, a general fund that is has a lot of our own you know state tax dollars in some ways i think the magnitude of that number is probably overwhelming for you guys to a degree it's so big the possibilities are endless which means having this conversation might be harder than if it was a little more finite um you never want uh less money but um digging in a little deeper on the bucket conversation uh have you guys thought about what numbers go with which bucket yet or really just what buckets you have it's more of what buckets we have and um you know Curtis Hertel, our, our appropriation lead, and I have pushed for, if you don't kind of give a, a ballpark number for each bucket, then it can easily be the first few buckets take up all the money and the, and the, and the, and the ending buckets just don't get the priority or you, you or the vice versa where you don't put enough in the beginning and you have a whole bunch left over and you, you put it towards things that you're, you know, just trying to make the, make the, make the, the numbers even out to zero. Um, and I think that uh, we're going to make it work no matter what, but I think that would have been a smarter sort of, you know, ballpark for each category. Um, I also think we have a responsibility to do something, um, and I'd like it to be substantial, of course. Uh, I guess the substantial means, for, for, I mean, means different things to different people, but we've had a lot of folks uh, who've worked in the entire time during the pandemic, uh, and they've worked with, you know, customer and they're working with people all day long you know i can think of like a lot of workers who are in healthcare, uh and i think they the, the, some of the point of that covid relief money was to help folks like that both show that we care about the work that they did and the importance that they did and the fact that they were in harm's way so i'd like to see um some sort of the, the term people have been using is hero pay something related to that would be also would be helpful but i think that could go in a number of buckets i don't i, I didn't mention it as a bucket because I, I think it's a it could be its own thing but it could also be in another area kind of staying right along this money line is i mean what are some of the long-term investments that you think from your perspective the state should be prioritizing right there's things we can do now to help people today hero pay some tax relief um all really important um but then also these investments that might um, really put us in a position to compete, you know, with other states and then globally for the next decade. Yeah, and I think that's really the critical question, right? Um, and I think uh, I don't, I, I would hesitate to say like a percentage. I think the larger percentage should be transformative um, investments we can't normally make that can put us, as you said, on a, on a you know, competitive advantage with other states, but also, you know, as sound financial footing going forward um so i think that should be the larger number uh than sort of the important investments in the short term that i think are needed also but i think um i'd, I'd like to see it as much as much of our investment go towards things that would would lead to putting michigan long term on a better footing um so i i and also i mean I, and i regretted to mention this and we didn't talk about it exactly specifically but we also are going to have an infrastructure bucket that's coming from the federal government uh, that will, which kind of meets that exact point you're talking about. I mean, for a long time, and we're not the only state to do this, um, but we have an opportunity to change that like other states do. And hopefully all I can, all I can, all I can work on as our state is, you know, under the ground, 
right? Obviously, we're both from the Flint area, so we know more firsthand. You and you and I worked together on this for a long time in Flint and the water. Um, we should look at water and sewer um, investments. That should be really right up towards the top, um, and we're going to have resources for it because we've let that investment go for a long time because no one saw it, right? I mean, roads they deteriorate, you see it. Uh, water and sewer, you, you don't notice it until there's a backup or until there's a water water issue like there was in our town. Um, but I think it's critical um, that those investments be made and then a plan to make sure that we do maintenance going forward so we don't have to try to have to wait 30 years again until someone comes in with a magic amount of money and has us fix it again. We should really be having a plan for that. Uh, and then really, uh, as I mentioned before, for everything else, it should be really transformative. You know, and when and, and that's a that's a subjective term, right? Um, I, I voted for the economic development package uh, that the governor proposed uh, that passed, and is you know we're starting to see some of those investments that are the companies are making. But my long my my philosophy is not that we should be, um, especially for a long term incentives that we don't know the cost, uh, like the mega tax credits where. It fluctuates from year to year. We don't have a good we don't have a good grasp on how much we're 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 providing companies. Um, I think the investment should go um, if we're going to do things that help companies. They should help the employee just as much. Um, get you know get get on a, a strong financial footing uh, as much as we do the employer. Because I'm just a f fundamental believer in the Keynesian uh, economic theory where you put money in people's pockets, they're going to spend it, uh, and that's so much on the trickle down side. Um, so I, I think to your earlier question, it should be transformative. It should make it should put us on the long term, uh, either to, to to reduce burdens, whether it's you know debts, or um, to get us uh, make an investment so that we can um, uh, make long term changes off of that and and get our you know I mean our economy is changing, uh, our our workforce is changing. We have to be we have to be ready to deal with that. One thing you mentioned earlier. And I saw something you've been paying some special attention to or giving some thought to is this conversation around behavioral health. We see this manifest itself in a lot of different ways in people's lives um, in some really heartbreaking stories around this issue. Um, how are you approaching that? I mean, I'm a very serious conversation, but also a very great opportunity to try and make some improvements in a system that um, we all hope can help more people and, and further be more effective. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I, I actually think about that a lot. You know, a lot of folks in politics, they sometimes start off with a philosophy and however long they're in politics, they've never changed it just because, you know, ideology means more to them than uh, critically thinking about how they look at things. And obviously, um, for, for, for behavioral health, what I tried to do, because I hadn't worked on the issue before, was a couple, two things. One, I wanted to make sure I talked to everybody, you know, advocates, people that work in the industry, people that have uh, gone through the system or family members that have gone through the system and uh, as many people as I could. And I would start off with no sacred cows. There was no nothing um, that I, 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 there was nothing that was willing for me that I was willing to say, well, I won't touch that. I was willing to look at everything. Uh, and I didn't come in with any preconceived determinations coming out of it. Uh, and you probably, um, we've talked a little bit about this offline, Andy. Um, I've come to the conclusion and I think, you know, some people like it, some people don't, that I um, am, I don't have any, you know, if there's a liberal or conservative checklist of things you have to believe in, uh, clearly I am not uh, following that list uh, in my 
I, I learned I learned what the word ratio meant this week um, <laughs> when it came to talking about cryptocurrency, and I uh, that's not related to the mental health, but it, it it's related in a sense that I don't. I don't look at things and say, well, you can't do this. Um, I look at all of our systems in Michigan that we haven't made investments in for a long time and that we're falling behind. And nobody wants to admit that, but a lot of our systems aren't as good as they could be. That doesn't mean the people that are working in them aren't doing the best they can. And often it's because we've cut back funding. You know, in the 90s, when Governor Engler was there, he cut and really gutted a lot of programs. And we, we use this mantra of do more with less. That's just not it's just not something people it's not realistic it's not actually the, the way the world works you just do less and try to do it better than you used to do it before uh, because you have less money but you're not doing more uh, in almost every case you're not doing more you're doing adequate job and i think with mental health adequate isn't working you know we're seeing uh you know i think my, i look at mental health and i look at also substance abuse uh, both uh drug and, and alcohol and if we weren't if we weren't in the middle of covid right now we are in a crisis mode when it comes to um, especially opioid but other drugs uh, both in the overdose and in the uh, amount of people that are getting uh, they're getting access to them that don't that are using them improperly it, we are it would be the biggest issue we'd be talking about right now and so I think from a substance abuse and mental health aspect we have a lot of work to do um, I'm not advocating I never had like I said I, I didn't come in with any preconceived notions but I'm looking at it as like every area can be improved and how do we do that? And I think the biggest way to do it is through the supplemental. Uh, I think some of the policy changes that I've seen both from Mary Whiteford and from Mike Stricke are, are not necessarily bad. Uh, some aspects are, are good in it. Some aspects I think need to be changed. But I think it's the investment that we need to make in the systems, in the beds, in the, in the providers, in the loan forgiveness, in, in looking at things uh, differently and making investments to reflect that. Um, uh, you know, crisis beds. I mean, a lot of different things. That's where we're going to see the um, the long-term positive change. And I think some of the policy bills, if we do them right, will be fine. I, I don't think any of them will be uh, as critical as the funding that goes with it. That's good stuff. Thanks for really walking us through how you're thinking about it from like a macro level and then also kind of into some of the policy details there. Yeah. You touched on a little bit about uh, your, your Bitcoin tweet. You and I have talked a lot about um, just a mentality of looking at disruptive technology in a way um, that's not a threat to government, but in a way that, you know, they're hard to stop once they go. So how yeah. does government act with it? And how do you, you know, if it's something that needs to be safer, how do you make it more safer? How do you understand it in a meaningful way? And some of these technologies are just so much faster than the wheels of government. Uh, how, so I know you've thought a lot about these topics, you know, uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency being part of that, but not all of it. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your approach and I don't know if embrace is the right word, but um, willingness to, to to maybe go have these conversations uh, more than others on these kind of disruptive technologies and topics? Well, I think largely it comes down to the fact that I don't get offended or my feelings don't get hurt or I don't, you know, uh, freak out if someone has a different thought process than I do or philosophy. Uh, and I, I don't mean to sound like now, I mean, I'm unique, but I, it can be unique in, in government where a lot of folks, if someone says something different than them, they, the first thing they do is get too offended as opposed to just listening to what they have to say. Some things, I mean, I, I hear a lot of my colleagues say really stupid stuff and I don't get offended by it. I just think you know, maybe they should sit in the corner and not talk for a little while. 
um, and uh, versus you know being outraged by it. But I want to hear it. I want to know what makes them what what makes them when they wake up in the morning. What makes what they think about so that I understand. Well, how do we address a problem then? And I think to your point about you know disruptive industries, the, the, the amount of information, uh, good and bad, that's being processed and developed is so much faster than it used to be. So you can't sit back and just wait for the next. You know, when we were growing up, you know, General Motors or Ford would put out a new car every year, and over a ten-year period of time, there would be some substantial investments and changes. Now, it's happening so fast, you can't. No, I mean, I'm not even sure if the human mind can keep up with all of it. Any, any, any one individual can keep up with all of it. But you, can look at, you can look at it and say, I can be afraid of this and put my head in the sand, or I can try to wrap my arms around it, whether I like it or not, and, and embrace a structure that allows to make sure that people are, are, are not being taken advantage of. That's what I really care about. Um, like we're looking at, you know, a lot of folks want to do things. Now that technology is available, they want to do things differently. You're seeing people that don't, they don't feel like they need cars anymore because they can use Uber or Lyft, or they don't feel like they, um, you know, they, they don't, I mean, as this technology gets more and more available and more and more people are using it, you know, you can, you know, for instance, right now we're debating something related to short-term rentals, you know, which often people use, you know, use the term, you know, use the, the, the sites Verbo or Airbnb. Um, you can look at that and say well, this is this shouldn't happen or you can say how do we make sure that people aren't taken advantage of both the you know the people that, that lived in the neighborhood for 30 years uh but also the homeowner that may need this uh for uh you know they can't afford a second home unless they can rent it out for a while or someone who just wants to use it as a business how do you how do you how do you uh, how do you take each each one of those approaches and say we have a structure that works you know, if you're doing, if you have 10 homes, you're a business, you, you operate like a business. If you have, if you've lived in a house for 30 years and you're worried about the neighbor, then you make sure you have policies in place that they can't have parties, they can't trash the place, they can't do all the things that make a home, make a community um, less um, livable and less, you know, um, beneficial to live there. But you're also recognizing that, you know, this is a personal property, right? And they should have an ability to use it in, in within within reason uh in ways to uh to, to their own to their own advantage um i think there's a way to, to wrap your, your arms around that and, and and make it work what i often run into is groups that say well we don't like to do it that way and and my thought is okay that's not what i'm asking you i'm asking you how we do it so it works for everybody not not how it works just for you how does it work for everybody and that's how i've approached all these whether it's cryptocurrency whether it's you know the changes in way people buy cars. You know you're seeing folks that want to buy dire directly from the from the company. You're seeing an interest in people uh, looking putting solar on the top of their on their home. Um, we're, we have disruption in every aspect of life, whether it's how you get your groceries. Um, and I think we should be looking at that. I'm not suggesting the government needs to micromanage it. I, I'm not saying that we even have an ability to do that effectively, but I think we shouldn't act like it doesn't exist. Appreciate you kind of talking us through that and also just appreciate you taking the time to think more critically about some of these issues that um, are clearly impacting everyone's everyday life uh, and we may or may not have a good handle on the government's perspective. Well, one thing too, Andy, I also, but I think it's important, I don't invest in any of these things. And I do that on purpose. There's a lot of things I'd love to invest in. If I wasn't doing this job, I would think about it, but I don't want to be biased in my decision making. It's one of the things that I think we lack in Michigan. You know, I think there's a lot of aspects. I'm not a, you know, I'm not somebody who like 
beats up on government uh, for the soundbite because I, I think that's you know especially people that are in it it's either disingenuous or you you think very little of yourself um, but I also think that we should be striving for better right and we should have higher standards and we should build back trust because I think that's uh, you know if you don't trust your government you're 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 okay watching it be destroyed. Um, you know, uh, our democracy is at stake right now, and if, if 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 people don't think it's worth saving because they don't trust the people in it, then they never will, right? They'll never stand up for it uh, as they have. I mean, it's not like this is the first time this has ever happened in America or in the or in the world. Um, I, I'm I'm getting off the subject for a second, but it, it does matter that I think I don't invest in these things, so I don't have to do it in order to make more money. Um, I have no personal interest in it one way or the other, and um, as you as the folks here don't know this, but uh, aspects of me are, it took a little while for me to get onto this uh, platform because I'm, you know, sometimes I have the mentality of a 90 year old. Uh, so I, I'm embracing things or I am diving into things that I am not, they are not my, they are not necessarily my comfort level. That's why I do it, to, be, to understand it better. Yeah, it took Jim a few minutes to get his webcam on here on the old uh, uh, recording platform. One thing that I, is intriguing to me is this conversation about talent and people can work anywhere and how that is disruptive to in in and of itself. But Michigan, for we you know lost another congressional seat. We've lost two congressional seats in the last two census. We're losing population, or at least not gaining, like some other states are. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about some of these long-term investments of how to build a state that should, you know, clean water and all those things, uh, better roads, better infrastructure um, will help us compete. But we, we have to compete for people to want to live here. Um, and is there any conversation or thoughts around, um, this is now a little more short-term, incentivizing folks uh to move here to be here to help grow this population we've seen some communities try some of these things um is that a conversation that's taking place how we get um i mean behavior health we just need people to do that job right part yeah, of it is sure. if you make these investments how, how you know how do we get people to be here so um a little bit open-ended but just kind of throw it to you yeah I, I think they're happening but not at the level at which they should you know you hear terms like you know want to pick winners and losers um thrown around a lot and most people don't even really know what they mean when they're saying that it's just a tagline that you know, sort of a bumper sticker slogan that people like to throw around you know like where's the beef was in the 80s uh with that lady from the wendy's commercials i mean it's it's i mean every day in every aspect of our life we we pick winners and losers you know i pick tim hortons over starbucks right i mean we all do it um uh or vice versa you know i mean it's it's it, uh, but i think in certain industries in particular, you know, when we know we have a demand, the best way to do it is to basically say, okay, if you want to move here, we'll help you with A, B, and C. Uh, and then also incentivizing, um, you know, some of the aspects that make people want to live somewhere, whether it's cultural, whether it's, you know, um, a, a lot of things. Those are all things that I think we should be looking at. Um, I, I think um, it'll be difficult in the environment we're in, in some areas to do the level of investment in, in sort of the place making, as we call it. Um, that I think would help get people to move here. Um, but like in a lot of places, you know, if you're a family, if your family owns a farm, the next generation just doesn't want to do it. Um, and you have to make it so it's more appealing for them to to want to keep doing some of those things. 
uh, whether it's making sure they have access to, to, to broadband, whether they have access to flexibility in, in how they take classes, uh, so they can, you know, you know, get some of the technology on that on that family business that they never had before. Um, you know, I, I think all those things should be on the table. Um, and I proposed it for mental health, behavioral health stuff, for sure. Um, hopefully that's part of it. Um, I think the same thing is the case for education. Uh, we have a teacher shortage now, largely because of 10 years of Republican policies that, um, you know, degraded public schools and, and public school teachers. But um, I think we should stop doing that one and, and actually start investing in those people. Um, but also you could, in the short term, we just need folks. So we should actually, you know, offer different incentives to get people to come here and work in some of these industries. So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, it's kind of what I talked about before. I didn't, I wasn't saying it exactly, but like, if you just look at Michigan and say, everything's fine and we'll just keep, you know, going along as we will, we'll, we'll keep losing congressional seats. We'll keep losing people or we'll stabilize and, and, and we'll, we'll stabilize at some point in time where we don't really go up or down or we can make improvements. And uh, I don't think we need to, uh, I, I think that's the, I was just, I don't think we need, we're not going to necessarily just sell ourselves. Is I think if you make those improvements, people make economic decisions every day. They'll say, well, they have this, they have, you know, they have all these amenities um, and, um, and and we should take advantage of that. And, we, and there's a lot of great things. I mean, Michigan's got clearly four seasons um, and sometimes they all can hit one week, uh, which is a, <laughs> it's something people have to get used to. But, um, you know, with the lakes we have, uh, the summer opportunities we have, um, even you know, even some of the winter activities, um, you have to you have to be ready for it. I mean, obviously, if you've never experienced it, you're not gonna you're not gonna be used to it. There's times when all of us in Michigan wake up and say, "Why am I living here?" Um, but, but I think there's some placemaking that can be done, uh, and some other things that I think would make it more attractive for people to to, to either stay, which is what you want first, uh, and then secondly, move here. Uh, lastly, as we wind down a little bit, switching uh, to uh, 2022 election, we are in cycle now, the final, uh, what, 10 months, uh, which is a little crazy to think. In 2018, uh, you did something that I don't think anyone ever thought was possible. You flipped five Senate seats, uh, which I think is a record in the history of the state. Uh, how are you thinking, A, we have new maps, so probably some thoughts on that if you want to share them. Sure. And then B, uh, how you and your caucus are feeling uh, going into 22 in the first uh, midterm of a incumbent president of your own party. Well, I always look at what people say, uh, other people say, and a good. I came into the House in 2010. There was 61 of us, and uh, the presumptive next leader for the Republicans, Eric Nesbitt, and I came in together, and he, right after the maps were passed, called it a Democratic gerrymander. Now, by by no objective term or understanding of what a gerrymander is, you could actually say that with a straight face, but it shows you that they're worried to actually have to run in maps that can be held accountable by actual voters, not just by, you know, primary right wing, uh, you know, people of their base. They're gonna actually have to talk to people that, you know, wake up every day and don't just watch OAN and think about storming the Capitol. They're gonna have to actually talk to people that may look at things differently than they do. If you look at the legislative uh, races over the last couple of decades, Democrats have gotten more votes than Republicans have. We are slightly a Democratic state over a Republican state, right? That's just the facts of the, of, of, the, of, the, of the elections. So on a purely partisan fairness standpoint, there should probably be 20 seats that are Democratic, 18 that are Republican. The way that the commission drew the map is they drew 19 uh, 
uh, sort of Democratic leaning seats and 15, I would argue, Republican leaning seats and then four sort of toss ups that slightly favor them. That is by no means a gerrymander for either party. It just actually reflects sort of the partisan makeup of the state. Um, so I think um, going into this election, we think we have some advantages and they'll have some advantages. They'll have more resources. They always do. They're, they're in the majority and they have donors who can write huge checks that basically if they meet certain standards, this is what I believe, I don't have any evidence of this other than just watching, is that if they meet certain, you know, if they pass certain bills, they get those money. Uh, they get a certain $40,000, you know, hard, you know, checks to the, to, the Senate, to the Senate Republican fund and God knows how much soft money, dark money into their uh, into their accounts. Uh, we have to deal more with small donors, you know, and we have, well, we do PACs as well, but we do much better with small individual regular people and they do better with a handful of really wealthy folks. Uh, we think we have ability to, to communicate better with um, average everyday, you know, ordinary citizens because we've had to. We've had to convince them to vote for us when they've had maps that were favor, favorable to them. And they're still talking as if, um, in my opinion, that they're talking to a certain base of, the, of, the, of their vote. And they also have to, I think they're also gonna have to deal with the fact that President Trump is still continuing to continuing to say that the election was stolen and what's the point of voting um and i think uh so we'll look at we'll look at enough you know obviously it's too early to tell where the energy's at where the where the sort of motivation is to vote and who then but you know we still hold we still hold our own when it comes to the generic state legislative and the governor still seems to be doing fine against all uh potential nominees and i think that that says something that they know uh, I don't think it's going to be 2018, but I also don't think it's going to be 2014 either. I think it's going to be in between. And I think an in-between year gives us a real shot at um, you know, 19 or 20 seats or maybe more. Uh, and in a really good year for us, if it was 2018, we'd probably have 23 seats under this map. And, and in, 2014, in 2014, under the map, we'd have had 18 seats. So I think we're going to gain seats no matter what. I'm working hard, obviously, to gain enough so that I can... Um, rip the gavels out of my colleagues' hands and, and hand them to my colleagues, people on my side of the aisle, and hopefully they never touch them again. Um, you know, we looked, it's almost 40 years since we've had it. Um, I'd, I'd be happy to have 40 more years where we have it, and then I'll probably be dead by then at the end of that 40-year period, and, and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. But uh, <laughs> that's my uh, that's my focus, uh, has been for a while. As you know, I'm a much more political leader uh, on the outside world than most Dem leaders have been, both House and Senate, for a long time. Uh, I don't do that in my job. Obviously, I try to separate them, but I'm a very politically minded person when it comes to the nuts and bolts of, of a campaign operation where a lot of other leaders just left that to us, the people. Um, like I said, I don't I don't try to let that, you know, uh, you know, go on the day to day Senate operations because I think we have responsibility to taxpayers and citizens of Michigan. But I am a very competitive person. I always I have been since I was playing sports as a kid. Um, so I, I, this is, it's in my DNA. I can't do anything about that. And that's, it benefits us. And I think when it comes to elections, no doubt about it, you take your work seriously. Uh, well, we're up against the time limit here. I uh, just so much appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and our clients and everyone of you into the work you're doing and how you approach your work. And as always appreciate you, Jim. Thank you for joining a key to the inside, the KJL podcast.